The Lord be with you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, your word in our midst. Um, I thank you for your presence in our midst. Give us grace, Lord, to uh, hear what your spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're uh, continuing uh, today with our series um, called Bringing Our Stuff to the Table, uh, Possessions in the Way of Jesus. Um, and uh, as Matt said last week, uh, the reason we're doing uh, this series is that um, we have a jacked up relationship with our stuff. Uh, it's totally messed up. Um, and uh, it's, it's, we don't oftentimes notice this or see it because it's, you know, it's like fish swimming in water. Uh, you just think this is normal. This is what, you know, this is what life is. You guys have probably heard the story of the, you know, the two young fish kind of swimming along and the uh, older fish swims by the other direction and says... Hey, boys, how's the water? Two young fish kind of look back at him, kind of confused, and they're like, what the heck is water? <laughs> Do you guys get it? <laughs> Mallory gets it. They don't know what water is because they're fish and they just live in it, right? They don't know that they're living in water. Does that make sense? Okay, I feel like that just did not go over very well. <clears throat> but I, I'm trying to make the point that this is the environment we live in. What we see as normal uh, we don't even recognize that it, it's a thing. It's, it's a thing that we live in. Uh, and that thing is this jacked up relationship with our stuff. It's hard to discern. It's hard to see the lies that we're believing. Uh, but today we want to proclaim some good news uh, about it. Just a couple stats to help us uh, maybe get a picture of this jacked up relationship with our stuff that we have. Uh, the average size of the American home has nearly tripled in size in the last 50 years tripled in size. The average home has tripled in size in the last 50 years. Storage facilities are the fastest growing segment of the commercial real estate industry for the last four decades. So we're, we're, we're building bigger homes to put all our stuff in, and then we're finding that the homes we have are not big enough for all of our stuff, so we rent storage facilities to hold the rest of our stuff. Uh, there are now more storage facilities in America than Starbucks if you can imagine that, but, you know, and there's Starbucks everywhere. Uh, more storage facilities than Starbucks. 25% uh, of people with two-car garages don't have room to park the cars that they have inside the garages because it's filled with stuff. Um, the average 10-year-old owns 238 toys and plays with 12 of them in a day. Uh, and the average American spends $1,700 on clothes annually and throws away 65 pounds of clothing every year, just replacing clothing with clothing, okay? So this is, I mean, these, are, these aren't meant to make you feel bad, but they're meant to say, like, look, we're swimming in water. We're swimming in something here, and that's, that, that water is uh, our jacked-up relationship with our stuff. All of this stuff feels so normal. It just feels natural. It feels like uh, you don't have to try to kind of just get into the flow of this stuff. Um, it's the air we breathe. It's what we swim in. But in this passage, Jesus uh, calls attention to this impulse, and he calls it greed. Now, most of us wouldn't think of it as greed. Most of us would, well, I'm not greedy. I'm just sort of a normal person. But Jesus calls it greed in this passage, and that he warns us against it. He says we should be on our guard against greed. It's the grasping for wealth, it's possessions, it's the power, status that those things bring, because uh, we think that by them we'll have life. We'll get, we'll get something if we get enough stuff. And so last week, Matt said that mammon demands our worship, uh, and greed is how we worship mammon. Greed is how we worship mammon. And uh, we want to talk today about the shift in the life of a Christian from going from 
greed that feels very natural and normal to us into the way of charity, uh, the way of solidarity uh, with others around us and with the poor. Uh, So Jesus warns us about this. He says uh, in this passage, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Another way to translate this is to say that owning a lot of things doesn't make your life safer. Owning a lot of things doesn't make your life safer. So greed tells us that the good life is being able to get whatever we want whenever we want it. But today we proclaim the good news that life is a gift from God that we share in community. And as we participate in sharing with those in need, God delivers us from the fear of not having enough into lives of joyful generosity and mutual abundance. So that's what we want to proclaim today, real quick. Um, How many of you guys have ever read uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce? Okay, that's good. That's a good percentage. I like that. Um, I I think that every Christian should read it. Um, If you don't know, the the basic gist of the story uh, is this. It's kind of a fanciful parable. Um, but the, the gist of the book is that um, it's about heaven and hell, and uh, hell is, there's no gates in either of these places, and that hell, if you're in hell, you can actually take a bus tour to the outskirts of heaven and meet somebody that you knew, you know, on earth, and th- have a conversation about whether or not you might like to go to heaven. So that's kind of the gist of the book, and so there's these bus tours that people take that go to the outskirts of heaven, they meet a sponsor, basically, somebody they knew, and the sponsor tries to talk to them and just say, like, why don't you come? Like, there's no, like... We just come, just start walking. Like, let's, let's just go to heaven together. And it's amazing because uh, there's various, I mean, almost nev- nobody takes them up on it because uh, for various reasons. So, for example, there's one, one person there who uh, felt like, they, uh, like their whole identity was wrapped up in being a great artist. Um, but the truth is they were a very mediocre average artist. Uh, but they can't embrace that. You know, they can't embrace the truth of their mediocrity because their identity is tied up in being great. And so... You know, at the end of that conversation, the person says, like, infinite happiness. Like, it's okay that you're average. Like, it doesn't matter. You can be happy. Come. He says, no, I'd rather be great. Or I'd rather at least think of myself. I'd rather inhabit a world where I'm a great artist, which ends up being the, the, only, the only person in that world is that person. And that's actually the most striking thing. When I first read this, the most striking thing about it for me was, uh, was C.S. Lewis's description of hell. Um, because one of the things you recognized is this, that... In hell, according to this story, in hell you get whatever you want forever. That's hell. Getting what you want forever. Um, And that struck me as odd because as a kid I remember thinking, that sounds like heaven, (laughs) right? Like (sighs) as much candy as I want, my parents aren't, you know, limiting my screen time, you know, there's all these things that that I thought maybe heaven feels like that's, that's going to be getting whatever I want. But no, that's hell in, in C.S. Lewis's story. In hell, you get whatever you want forever. You get a larger house. You want a larger house, you just think it up, and it's sort of there. Now, everything's a bit shabby and gray and run down, but you just, you know, you can build a house fairly easily, um, and you can get what you want. And what happens, it's interesting uh, in the story, what happens to people as they get what they want Uh, is that what they increasingly want is to be separate from other people because people start to annoy them. People start to get on their nerves. People start to demand things that they feel like are unreasonable. People start to uh, do things that upset them and frustrate them. And, uh, you know, anybody relate? Does anybody have a relationship? Yeah? Some people have relationships? Um, You know, yeah. But, uh, but these things happen to us, right? And, uh, you know, typically we find a way. But in hell, 
in hell, you get whatever you want, which means, well, that person, forget that person, and you can kind of move further and further out. There's actually a fun story uh, in there about, like, Napoleon, um, who some, some people went and uh, it took him 15,000 years to go walk to Napoleon's house. That's how far away from other people he was at this point. Um, and they, they said, yeah, it took them a long time, but they were just getting back. When There's these two people talking in the bus line to go to heaven. And they basically say, uh, yeah, they found him. They saw him. And it was like, oh, yeah, what was that like? And they said, well, he's got, he built this enormous house in the Empire style, and all the lights, you know, just flooded, all the windows just flooded with light. And they said, yeah, did they see Napoleon? They did, yeah. They went, they went up there, they looked into the window, and they watched him, and all he was doing was pacing back and forth, left, right, left, right, just never stopping, muttering under his breath about all the people who betrayed him. It was this person's fault. It was the Russians' fault. It was the English's fault. It was Josephine's fault. He was just muttering about how everybody had uh, just betrayed him. And they said they watched him for a year, and he didn't seem to be able to stop pacing and muttering. Ugh, right? <laughs> hell. And so um, that's hell. That's C.S. Lewis's picture of hell. Um, the image I get is, you know, is, is like a man ravenously eating bucketfuls of dust, starving to death, but convinced if he eats just a little bit more dust, he'll be satisfied. He'll just get what he wants. Um, and so this, I want to suggest, is a picture of what, this is a version of the parable that Jesus tells um, to this man who wants uh, Jesus to arbitrate between him and his brother. It shows up in our lives in more subtle ways, but we want to talk about that. Uh, here, in, here in a bit. So let me, let me just give you a, a like that, that's an extreme example, right? Hell is get, getting whatever you want forever. Um, but how does this show up in our, in our everyday lives? And um, I, I was thinking about this for me, and I, uh, I realized that uh, over the past few weeks, I've had three people tell me that I can use their chainsaw. Okay? So I don't know, just uh, three, actually, you know what, uh, Ryan, I wasn't even thinking about you, four people. Four people <laughs> told me that I, can use their, that I could use their chainsaw. So uh, there's various things. We've got a tree in our front yard that's got the ash borer, and so my, next, my neighbor across the street said, uh, hey, man, I got a chainsaw, like, let me know, and I'll just come over and we'll take that thing down. It'll take no time. I was like, that's a, like, it's a, world, it's a world I don't know anything about, so you know, I'd have to rely on him for that chainsaw. And then the other uh, reason I needed a chainsaw was that we, we recently took out our fence, and so uh, people were all about the panels. They loved to come and take the panels for free, but they left the posts. And I found out why when I tried to remove the posts. Um, and so there was one line of about, I don't know, probably six or seven posts that I actually I bought a farm jack, and I, I had to jack these things out of the ground. And there's, you know, they're just... They're massive. It was back-breaking work. It was terrible. And then I had all these other posts. I'd only done like a quarter of the yard, and I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with these posts? Uh, because the other thing is I realized I couldn't lift them out of the ground because I'd mess up my neighbor's fences, like I'd like destroy their fence. And so I realized what I need to do is get a chainsaw and just hack these things off at the bottom. And uh, that's when people started offering me their chainsaws. And so here was the realization for me, though. I still contemplated buying a chainsaw. I still thought about buying a chainsaw. I was like, why did I think about buying a chainsaw when people offered me their chainsaws? Uh, and I realized that I don't like depending on people. I don't like asking people for things. I don't like using their stuff. I don't like, there's something in me that doesn't like the reciprocity that gets set up in a relationship like that because I don't want to depend on them, and I don't want them to depend on me. Autonomy is important for me. 
And I started realizing, I think this is a form of what Jesus is talking about here. Because greed is wanting to, like, it's thinking that life consists in the accumulation of stuff. But part of what happens when you accumulate the stuff is that you don't need anybody anymore. You don't need them. And so I was realizing, for me, that I, my contemplation of buying a chainsaw is part of, part of that reality in my life. So it seems innocent enough, but what's hiding there is greed. Uh, something in me believes that I can secure my life by accumulating the things that I need so that when I want to, you know, cut down my fence posts, I can just go out to the, I can just grab my own chainsaw and do it. Or better yet, I can just pay somebody to do this for me, right? So what I'm, secure, what I'm trying to secure for myself is the ability to not depend on people and kind of do what I think I need to do. Because there's something in me that believes that I can get life that way. That's what life consists in. Um, Matt mentioned, you know, that we need some, we need some help, you know, with uh, doing some of the things that, that worship requires. And I think some of that dynamic is at play in me. Like some of it's self-inflicted for me as I, I think, well, I can do that. And so I might as well, rather than relying on people and that kind of thing. Because what that does is connects us together in community. Um, so, that, I mean, that's the good news. Greed tells us that the good life is being able to get whatever we want when we want it. But we proclaim the good news today that life is a gift from God that we share in community and as we participate in sharing with those we need, giving and sharing, giving and, giving and receiving, God delivers us from the fear of not having enough and into joyful lives of generosity and mutual abundance. So let's look at this passage uh, briefly and uh, we'll come to the table. In just a moment. Um, so the, the, the main part of this gospel passage is Jesus' parable. But the context is that Jesus is talking with his disciples about faithfulness and persecution. And somebody interrupts uh, in the middle of Jesus talking with his disciples. Somebody interrupts and says, Rabbi, tell my brother to give me my share of the inheritance. Now apparently this, um, <clears throat> this was a normal thing. So in, anybody ever been involved or seen like a family squabble over inheritance? These things can get messy, right? They can get really messy really fast. Um, and apparently this was one way that you could arbitrate this kind of disagreement in that day, was you'd find a rabbi to deliver a judgment, and then everybody had to do what the rabbi said. And so this guy was, who knows if he was trying to cheat his brother or if his brother was trying to cheat him, and he was like, hey, this, I'm going to go to the rabbi, and the rabbi's going to deliver a judgment for me and that we're all going to have to abide by. So he figures this is normal pastor stuff, like this is what I go to the pastor for, and so I'm going to go ask Jesus to do this. Um, and it's complicated because you can't just turn it into cash, right? So inheritance in those days was land. It was like you got your own piece of the holy land, and so what do you do? You can't just, you can't just sell it. Like that's, there's no money in that. You have to actually farm it. And so it gets really complicated. How do you split up the land? What if one of you has a creek and the other one doesn't? All of that kind of stuff. Um, and so this man may have been justified in his appeal. His brother may have been trying to cheat him out of something, and the man may be just demanding fairness, justice. Hey, you got to do what's right for me. Um, but Jesus doesn't step into that um, and do what others expect him to do, which is, what, which is to make a ruling. Instead, as he so often does, he responds in a way that challenges everyone listening to reframe this whole thing in a new light. Um, just take a step back and look at the whole thing from another angle so that reconciliation can be found. Um, because here's what Jesus knows, that even if he delivered an edict and this dispute was settled, 
maybe it would have been settled 50-50 perfectly fairly. That wouldn't have brought about reconciliation. The two brothers still would have been at odds. So Jesus tells a little story to try to help this man understand. Here's, do you want to understand the end of what you're looking for? You're looking for fairness, justice. You're looking for uh, things to be uh, set up according to you know, equality. You're looking for that? Great. Here's how that ends. And he tells this story about a rich farmer who has this amazingly abundant crop. And the normal response, everybody listening to this, um, the normal response for somebody who has an abundant crop would be to thank God for this blessing and to throw a huge party for all of his friends and say, we had an amazing harvest. Let's party. Let's do this, right? Uh, And then to actually deliberate with the town elders and the rest of the community, what do we do with this? Now, this is mine. This is my harvest. It came from my land. But what should we do? That would have been a totally normal response because this is a world in which uh, extended family relationships were intact and community networks were very, very important. People understood the importance of these things. And so Jesus saying that this man doesn't do any of those things, he celebrates nothing, right? And uh, if he has a party, he's saving it for himself. And he doesn't deliberate with anybody except for himself. That's actually one of the most striking parts of the parable is how much he talks to himself. Like it would have been, it would have been striking to the people listening to be like, like, man, this guy, full of himself, talking to himself like this. And so this rich man uh, says to himself, he talks to himself, well, what should I do? And then he answers himself, well, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. So apparently he already has barns. He already has surplus grain. And so I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And he's still talking to himself, right? So I know what I'll do. I'll tear down barns. And then I will say to myself. So not only is he talking to himself, he's talking to himself about the things that he's going to say to himself after he tears down his barns and builds bigger barns, right? This guy is completely self-referential. And it's part of the reason he's a fool. Part of the reason he's a fool. And that word in the Bible, by the way, whenever you see fool, that doesn't mean like silly guy or like unintelligent person. It means like somebody who has set their heart against God. It's somebody who denies God, who's kind of given God the middle finger a little bit. <laughs> Girls, you can ask me later about what that's about. Um, let the teenagers understand. <clears throat> I'm sure you've never seen that in high school. Right now. Anyway, so... Uh, so he, you know, he's talking to himself about what he's going to say to himself after he does all this stuff. And he'll say, self, you have plenty of grain for years to come. Eat, drink, and be merry. Just, have a, just relax. Kick it. Like, you, you, you've arrived. You got the stuff. And now, you're good. Like, it's no wonder this guy doesn't have anybody to talk to, right? Like, nobody wants to talk to a guy like that. Um, and so this, this would have been, to the people listening, this wouldn't have sounded heroic. This wouldn't have sounded like, oh, that guy totally came into it, didn't he? Everybody listening would have been like, what a pathetic loser that guy is. That's what they would have thought. And so he's basically saying, don't forget, it starts with this question. Teacher, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. Tell my brother to do what's fair. And Jesus says, you want what's fair? Here's the end of that picture. You might win the inheritance, but you'll lose your brother. You'll lose your family. Your life doesn't consist in you getting the inheritance. Your life consists in these relationships. That's the main contrast Jesus is making. And I I think that's the main thing 
that I want to proclaim to us today is that greed, we, greed convinces us that we can have life by accumulating things, but what that does to us is it cuts us off from relationship with others where the life actually is. That's where the life actually is, is in our relationship, our interconnectedness with God and with each other and with the world, with the poor, with those who don't have enough, with the marginalized, with the oppressed, with those who don't enjoy the surplus that we have. Greed tells us that the good life is being able to get whatever we want when we want it, but we proclaim the good news that life is a gift from God that we share in community. And as we participate in sharing with those in need, God delivers us from the fear of not having enough into lives of joyful generosity and mutual abundance. Because the other thing that this produces, this disconnection in relationship, which is the main evil that greed produces in our lives, it also produces injustice. In in that you can imagine, like in a tight-knit, close community like they had in the ancient world, um, there's other issues at play. This man's greed is going to affect a ton of other people, right? He decides for himself what's best for himself in isolation from the community around him that will be affected by his decision. So holding on to his grain might be a good business decision. Maybe he can sell it later when you know, next year's harvest isn't as good and he'll get a better price. But what will he be doing to those who didn't have a good harvest this year? What will, be, what will he be doing to those tenant farmers that he paid the minimum wage to and now they don't have any grain on the market to buy because he's holding it for next year for himself? Do you see how his greed produces injustice? It produces inequality? And that's the end result of kind of severing these social ties and these, uh, these relationships. So it might be a good business decision, but what is he doing? He's destroying the mutuality that people are meant to live in. This kind of thing is harder to see in our age, but it's, it's absolutely just as prevalent. We're bombarded with images that tell us over and over and over that life does consist in you driving that car or wearing this fragrance or making that amount of money or drinking this coffee or going that, on that kind of vacation. That's where life does consist. And once you, once you attain this, you will have arrived. But it never quite happens, does it? It keeps getting pushed further out. There's images that we look at every day that tell us that you get the good life by getting all the stuff. Something's wrong if you can't afford what you want in the moment. And so we work longer hours and we take the pay raise and we sacrifice our relationships with our kids and with our spouse in order to get the stuff that we think is going to give us the life. We've even turned purchasing things into a virtue. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but like, uh, for example, after the 9-11 terrorist attacks, one of the things that, that was going to be our civic duty was to go shop. That was going to be keep the economy going. Don't let the terrorists win. Buy stuff. That was the answer. That was the answer, not letting the ter- ter- terrorists win. Um, it's also complicated because uh, we affect people we don't even realize that we affect. We're part of systems of injustice that are based in greed. So I buy my clothes on sale at Kohl's. But I don't, I don't know who made this. I don't know what the conditions of their life are. I don't know how my ability to buy cheap clothes affects somebody miles away, the other side of the world. I don't know. I don't know. We, have, we participate in these things without knowing about them. And we just think, again, it's, it's normal. I'm not trying to 
you know, like lay a guilt trip on any of us. I'm just saying, like, this is the water we swim in, and we don't see it. We don't see it, but Jesus says, this is actually this, this greed that be on your guard. He says, watch out for all kinds of greed, because your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. That's not actually how reality is. And that's the thing I want to I proclaim here, is that what Jesus says about reality is actually what reality is. And so, uh, according to God. In fact, it's just the opposite of, 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 this, of this water that we swim in. Um, and so, as Isaiah tells us, the passage from Isaiah says this, he attaches, Isaiah attaches the promise of the good life to these actions of, of justice and peace. He says, remove the chains of the prisoners who are chained unjustly. Free those who are abused. Share your food with everyone who's hungry. Share your home with the poor and the homeless. Give clothes to those in need. Don't turn away your relatives. Then your light will shine like the dawning sun and you will be quickly healed. Your honesty will protect you as, uh, as an advance and the glory of the Lord will defend you from behind. When you beg the Lord for help, he'll answer, here I am. Give your food to the hungry. Care for the homeless. Then your light will shine in the dark. Your darkest hour will be like the noonday sun. The Lord will always guide you and provide good things to eat when you're in the desert. He will make you healthy. You will be like a garden that has plenty of water or like a stream that never runs dry. Our lives do not consist in the abundance of our possessions. Society's life does not consist in the profit dividends uh, in its essential services. Jesus points us back to where our lives do consist in our interrelatedness with God, with one another, and with the world. That's where our lives consist. That's where true life consists. And that's what Jesus means when he says uh, being rich toward God. Being rich toward God means I believe what God says about reality and I invest my life, my resources there. I assume this is the good life. I invest there. I invest in what Isaiah says will bring about the good life. Sharing, if I have surplus, I share, of course. Like, first John, like it says in 1 John, if you see somebody in need and you don't provide for them, how can the love of God be in you? That's being rich toward God, trusting that what God says about reality is actually what reality is. So greed tells us that the good life is being able to get whatever we want when we want it, but we proclaim the good news that life is a gift from God that we share in community, and as we participate in sharing with those in need, God delivers us from the fear of not having enough into lives of joyful generosity and mutual abundance. So uh, where does this land for you? Um, maybe it's as simple as, for me, I decided not to buy a chainsaw. Instead, I borrowed Sean's chainsaw. Um, and uh, I actually borrowed Ryan's as well. But his wasn't quite powerful enough. <laughs> I just said, I'm going to borrow all the chainsaws. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to dive into this thing. But I, I borrowed Ryan's. It wasn't powerful enough, so I, I borrowed Sean's. So that's part, of, that's part of it for me, though. Part of me embracing my, you know, the need for mutuality is when somebody offers me something, I step into it. And I offer mine to them if I have something that, that, that's, that's, uh, that they could use. I, I say, well, let's, what's mine is yours. Uh, and we'll share. Sharing in abundance that creates bonds of community. That's how it, that's how it's meant to be, actually. That the, the sharing that we do with one another is actually meant to create bonds of community instead of keeping us separate. So maybe it's something as simple as that. Um, uh, Matt mentioned the Experience Ramadan event last night. For, for, for us, that's part of part of this, is part of stepping into a mutuality there. They served us <laughs> some, some excellent food. 
Um, and part of us stepping into a relationship of giving and receiving of solidarity with those who are uh, feeling marginalized um, because of the cultural climate, part of it is, is lining ourselves up with them and saying, I'm, I'm going to do this tonight. And I'm, I'm going to develop these relationships. And I'm going to begin to have my imagination uh, stirred toward uh, their experience, someone else's experience, especially someone who's experiencing marginalization uh, as they are. Um, we're still discerning this, but we're, we're also trying to think about how we could be involved with refugees, uh, with immigrants. Like, what does it look like? <laughs> it's challenging a little bit for us. Like, what does it look like for us to be with the poor? Um, we don't see them on the street where we live, most of us. What does it look like for us to do that? Um, another, uh, another way that uh, I'm finding myself uh, needing to respond to this word of good news um, is, I don't know if you guys heard, but this last week, uh, the verdict in the Philando Castile case was handed down, not guilty. Um, and so he was a black man who was shot by a police officer in Minneapolis. Um, and uh, I find that my, like, that feels so overwhelming to me to, th to think about that, that I, f I find myself wanting to just say, like, well, what can I do? I, I don't know, that kind of thing. But uh, somebody on Twitter forwarded this uh, video of, uh, I think it was his parents and some friends coming out of the courtroom after the verdict had been delivered. And they're just, the, the, the caption for the video said they're just, they're just weeping. This is the sound of injustice. Listen to this. I found myself thinking, like, I don't, I don't want to listen to that. I know it's hard for them. Um, but part of the way that we can respond to some of these things is by clicking the video and, and listening to it. That, there can be some problems with that. But for me, that was an act of, like, all right, Lord, let me, let me get into what this feels like for them. And they're just, they're weeping, you know? Grown man, huge man, 250. Like, just weeping, sobbing his eyes out because there's no justice for his son. So I want to invite you to think about that. Where the Lord is calling you uh, to respond. We're going to pray uh, this prayer together. That's in your booklet. Um, it just says, Loving Father, I confess that I have tried to get the good life in. Just fill in the blank there.